The following presentation is coming to you from the Diocese of Orange, California, the home of Christ Cathedral, where the Catholic faith is made crystal clear. This is SJEN-TV. So let us see what happens here. So at the, you know, in verse 71, if you read it, it kind of clears it up. And they said, what further testimony do we need? We have heard it ourselves from his own lips. Then the whole con company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man perverting our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is a Christ, a king. Now, why did they have to go to Pilate? Why couldn't they just put him to death right there? Well, the Romans had taken the right of capital punishment away from the Jews. Anything that was a capital punishment according to their law, they couldn't execute unless they first went through the Romans. And so they went to Pilate, and what's so interesting is Pilate had friends in Rome, and we know that he was in this area, okay, and he was a procurator, a governor, from 26 AD to 36 AD. He had a good friend in Rome who had basically manipulated the emperor to go to the island of Capri and rest and to put him in charge. So his friend was running things in Rome while the emperor was sitting on nice you know, beaches in Capri and eating grapes or something like that until finally the emperor kind of like came to and he said, what am I doing sitting here on this island? And you know, what's going on in Rome? And he went back to Rome and they you know, put this guy to death who was Pilate's friend. So Pilate's friend was put to death October 18th, 31 AD. And from that moment on, Pilate was walking on eggshells. And you really see that, that I'm convinced that the trial, that Jesus' trial had to happen after October 18th, 31 AD, for the simple reason that Pilate is so nervous and he's so worried and his wife is coming out with dreams. And I mean, he's worried that he's gonna get this wrong. And if he gets this wrong, you're out of here. And didn't take long, though. You know, he basically was removed in 36 AD. So they, so they come to Pilate. And notice how they're really trying to play up the Roman emperor. No, he's making himself a messiah, which means he's a king, which means to Caesar. Notice that, right? So they're really trying to play that element up. So let's go now. We're on uh, chapter 23, chapter 23. And... If you go to verse 6, okay, it's Pilate heard this and he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, not in Judea where he was, he sent him over to Herod, who, himself, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. Do you notice this game of hot potato here? So Pilate's like, oh my gosh, what am I going to do if these people get mad at me? I could get removed. And Herod's around. You're a Galilean? Go to Herod. Whew. Got rid of him. Okay, so you can see they're really kind of playing hot potato with Jesus. And you know what's really interesting is for, for people who are out of the church, for people who are away from the church, this is kind of what they do with Jesus too. They avoid questions. They avoid anything having to do with Scripture, study of Scripture, questions of faith. And that's why it's so important for us to ask any people that we meet who are outside the church, remember how... Pilate just didn't want to deal with it. You see the same thing. Ask them the questions. Are you, you know, do, do you, are you really thinking about eternal life? Do you really want God to forgive you? 
Do you want to know God's mercy? I don't care about that. No, you, you sh we have to. Every single human being must care about, about God's mercy and forgiveness. And, and so ask them those questions about Jesus. Uh, so then they, that they have to see, wow, who is Jesus? What is, what is his identity? And what am I called to do as his disciple? If we would only ask more of those questions to people, you would see a lot of people come back to church. They're probably never going to tell you that you're right. Let's just clear that up. But if you ask those questions in a way that they will certainly think about it, we will see conversion over a period of time. So Pilate wants to get rid of Jesus. He sends him to Herod. And so it says Herod was in Jerusalem. And when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad for he had long desired to see him. Now, Herod desired to see Jesus. Was that good or bad? Good or bad? What do you think? There's good desire. There's bad desire. This is probably bad. Let's see. He had long desired to see him because he had heard about him and was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him. And Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. And then arraying him in gorgeous apparel, he sent him back to Pilate. How about that? Herod humiliates our Lord and then puts gorgeous apparel on him and sends him right back to Pilate. Now, remember this question. Do miracles in themselves bring faith? If you saw a miracle, would you believe? Would you change your life if you saw a miracle? No. A lot of times people say that. If I only saw a miracle, I would believe. And I like to say, no, you wouldn't. You'd believe for a little bit, and then you'd go right back to who you are. You need conversion. Every person needs conversion. Without true conversion and true repentance, nothing is going to change in your life. The Israelites saw plenty of miracles. Nothing happened. The Pharaoh saw plenty of miracles. Nothing happened. Herod wanted to see a sign. He wanted to see a miracle. Did our Lord even waste his time? What did he give Herod? What did he say to Herod? Nothing. Nothing. And there are moments in life when people will want to mock the faith. They will want to mock you and mock the faith. And you can turn to them and say, Look, I would love to have a fruitful conversation with you. But at this moment, based on what you're saying... I am going to give you the same answer that our Lord gave to Herod. If you want to talk about it afterwards, I'll be glad to. I'll see you later. And I'll be like, what, what was that answer? Zero. Nothing. There's sometimes it's better not to participate in certain conversations, especially if they're bad conversations. And so Jesus says nothing to Herod. Of course, in Isaiah chapter 53, verses 7 and 8, it talks about how our Lord was silent. Like a lamb before the slaughter, he opened not his mouth. And you see that throughout Jesus' trial. And so we go on. Let's go now to verse 13. And it says in verse 13, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the people, and he said to them, You brought me this man as one who was perverting the people, and after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him. But they all cried out together, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection, started in the city, and for murder, 
Pilate answered them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they shouted out, crucify, crucify him. A third time he said to them, why? What evil has he done? I have found in him no crime deserving death. I will therefore chastise him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. So I want to ask you this question. Was Pilate guilty? Did he do wrong? He wanted to release Jesus. He tried. He went out. He made an effort. Was he wrong? Was he guilty? Yes. Why? Because he had the ability to do so. Of course, he would have probably lost his position. Probably would have been a riot. You know, he probably would have, Rome would have been, you know, sending somebody down and saying, you're out of there. He ultimately sold out because if he had said no, it would have really been a dramatic effect on his life. And that's why conversion is so important because when there's true conversion, we're prepared to suffer loss. We're prepared to suffer loss and leave things behind. Pilate wasn't ready to suffer any loss. He wasn't ready to leave anything behind. Do you see? He tried. He tried as much as he could without having it affect him. And that's unfortunately not going to get us very far. It's important to know that because if we really want to live the faith, we, we have to already make a choice. There is going to be suffering in my life. There are things that, that I am going to lose, friends that I am going to lose. I will be treated unjustly. Are you ready? Pilate wasn't ready. He had the authority. He could have done it. He didn't. So he kind of tried, but not really. Not to the point where it would affect him in any way. And so who did they ask for? Who was the man that they asked for? Give us someone else instead. Who was the person they asked for? It was a tradition to release a prisoner at that time. And who was the one they asked for? What was his name? Barabbas. What does Barabbas mean? Bar means son. The word for father. Barabba, Barabbas, give us the son of the father. They believe that his name, tradition says that his name was Jesus Barabbas also. So it would almost, they could have even been yelling, give us Jesus, son of the father. And which is amazing because they're asking for the one whose name means the son of the father. And the true son of the father is right there, our Lord. And you might be saying all the right words, but are do they really mean what they should? Do you see? You might be saying all the right things, but do they really mean what they should? Give us the Son of the Father. Possibly even give us Jesus, the Son of the Father. But they're just asking for the wrong one. Are you following the true Christ? Or are you following your own image of Jesus? And this is something so dangerous today because in our society, there are so many who have kind of come up with their own image of Jesus, a new Jesus, a Jesus for Southern California. How about that, huh? Yeah, I'm sure most people would like that if you live in Southern California. Outside of Southern California would look ridiculous, but a Jesus for Southern California who just kind of says yes to everything we do in Southern California. Well, guess what? That's the wrong Jesus. And we see here 
give us son of the father, but the wrong one. It is an irony, though, that his name was Barabbas. Continue on. What do they cry out? Crucify him. Crucify him. So instead, they, they release a man who was guilty of insurrection and murder. If you go to verse 24, it says, So Pilate gave sentence that their demand should be granted. He wanted to save his political career. So many politicians have done the same thing. They say, well, you know, I personally am pro-life. Have you ever heard that one before? You've probably never heard that, right? But, okay, and my, you know, I'm, I'm going to you know, vote against, you know, vote for abortion. But I'm personally pro-life. Have you ever heard that before? You know what you should shout back? Pilate said the same thing when he handed over our Lord to be crucified. I don't believe this, but you know, I'm going to let you guys do this. Murder. How about that? We don't realize this. When you look at what Pilate was saying, when you look at what he was doing, we see the same thing in our society today. Oh, I'm against euthanasia, but you know, I mean, the people are forced, so we're going to go with that. I'm against abortion, but I will go with that. On and on and on. Why would we vote for you then? Why do we do it? Because we don't have enough courage ourselves to live the faith. We're not living the faith courageously enough. And that's why we have wimpy politicians and leaders. I'm not going to get into either party. It's probably both sides. Who don't stand up for the faith. And we put them in office. Because we're not living the faith courageously. That's the reason. And so our Lord is handed over. Pilate gives in. Verse 26. It says that they led him away, and they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. You know, of course, you probably have heard that the cross may have had two parts, and there was the cross beam. And so, you know, possibly this is what they're putting on Simon. And so he's carrying the cross or the cross beam, and they're going, they're going up. They're going up, and they, let's see, where we're at verse 27. And there followed him a great multitude of people and of women who bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning to them, said, look what he says to the women. Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for your children. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never gave suck. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do this when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? So there, this is a very profound saying, blessed are the barren, because if you go all the way back to the book of Genesis, what is the very first command that God gives to humans and the very first blessing? It's a blessing and a command all in one. You know what it is? Be fruitful and multiply. But the day will come when they will turn the commandments of God upside down, starting with the first command, be fruitful and multiply. And all of them. So, so you look, look at this, like, blessed are the barren. It's almost like the opposite of what God said. Blessed are those people. The day will come when they will say that. So Isaiah explains it very uh, succinctly. If you go to Isaiah chapter 5, verse 20, and he says it something like this. He says that 
What is good, they call evil. What is evil, they call good. What is bitter, they call sweet. What is sweet, they call bitter. What is light, they call darkness. And what is darkness, they call light. In other words, Isaiah is saying they have literally turned God's moral order upside down. Do you see what he's saying? And you look at our society today, and it's like, wow, that's happening. Blessed are the barren. You can look at contraception. You can look at people not wanting to have children. But if you look deeper at the meaning of this statement, it's, it's, it implies that, but it implies an absolutely complete turning God's moral order upside down. Start with the very first commandment, and they will, they will say, blessed are the barren. Do you see? And so if they do these things when the wood is green, when the Christ is here, what are they going to do when the wood is dry? Pray for yourselves. Pray for your children. Do you see the, what our Lord is saying? If they're doing this now when Christ is here, what are they going to do when he's not here? What are they going to do when the church stops really practicing the faith? When many fall away from the faith, as many are doing right now, many young people are just leaving the church altogether. Our schools are teaching them things that are completely contrary to the faith, and we don't say anything. Kids go away to college, they leave church right away. I don't go to church anymore, I went to college. They told me it was all wrong, it was bad, evil. I mean, and that's how they feel. Today, they don't say, I don't believe. They say the church is evil. Everything you teach is evil. Your teachings are evil. They're going right at the core teachings of the faith and saying that that is evil. Blessed are the barren is what they're saying, basically. And you can quote that to them. You can say, go find out what Jesus means when he says, blessed are the barren. He talks about exactly what you're doing, exactly what's happening today. They are turning God's truth and his moral order upside down. So, our Lord says, pray for your children. Verse 32. Two others also were, with, were criminals. Two others also who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place which is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Now, the place of the skull, what was it called? Golgotha or Calvary, right? And what's so interesting is if you look at where Jerusalem was, if you're up on the Mount of Olives and you look down at the city of Jerusalem, you're going to be looking towards the west. You're, you're on the east. You're looking towards the west. And you're looking down. And what's down there? The temple. You see the altar where the burnt offerings are being offered. Then you see the temple. And then right behind the temple, you see the wall of the city. And right behind the wall of the city, you see a little tiny hill. And what is that little tiny hill? Golgotha or Calvary. From the Mount of Olives, the point is, is from the Mount of Olives, it's literally right behind the temple. Just maybe, you know, 100 yards, 300 feet behind the temple. I'm guessing, but it's not a very far distance. Amazing, and, and if, you, if you go to Jerusalem today, now when you look, you see, you see where the temple is, or was, now it's something else, the Dome of the Rock, and, and, if you, and right behind it, you see the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
You see the domes on the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. What's amazing is every time that Jesus was on the Mount of Olives with his disciples, if he was up a little bit, they would have seen all this. They would have seen the temple and Calvary, Golgotha right there. And the Romans wanted people to see it all. Crucifixion was invented by the Persians and it was perfected by the Romans. And believe me, they perfected it. They would crucify hundreds of people, even over a thousand people at a time, according to some accounts. If there was resistance and they wanted to stop it, bodies would be hanging on crosses. And it was gruesome. They would be up there for maybe even over a week being plucked at by animals and so forth. It was gruesome. It was the most humiliating way you could die. And our Lord chose to die this way. Of all the ways that Jesus could have died. And the Romans wanted people to see it. There would have been about a million people in Jerusalem with all the pilgrims coming for the Passover. It was right there near the temple, right on a little hill there. There was a passageway right there. People would have been walking all over the place. Everybody would have pretty much seen this. And you know what? The vast majority had no idea what was going on. And that's what's amazing about the crucifixion. Do we recognize its significance? And so in verse 34, Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Where do you find a similar prayer? Who says almost the same thing when he's stoned to death? The very first martyr. Saint Stephen, Saint Stephen, right? Your name is Steve, that's why you knew that one. But Saint Stephen says almost the exact same words when he's stoned to death. And that's really amazing when you see this prayer of Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then it says they, they cast lots to divide his garments, fulfilling a prophecy in Psalm 22. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him vinegar and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingly power. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now, isn't that beautiful? The, the, the one who was recognizing his own guilt, re recognizing that he deserved what he was suffering and recognizing Jesus' innocence, turning to our, our Lord at the last moment. How beautiful it is that so many can turn to our Lord even at the last moment. The most rebellious people can, re can turn to our Lord at the last moment. Do we have the faith to talk with them, to pray with them, to urge them? Well, they won't have that desire if we don't talk with them and pray with them and urge them 
even while they live, even when they are rebellious. And so it's so important for us to talk with those who've left the church and, and to even plead with them for the salvation of their souls. Because they're probably going to tell you, no, 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 get away from me, you're crazy. But at the moment of their death, they might remember everything that you, that you tried to tell them, and they might have the courage to turn to our Lord. And really, it, it really boils down to, do we really understand that God wants to forgive us of our sins? And so let's continue on here. Verse 44. How are we doing time-wise? Okay, 10 minutes left. In verse 44, it was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, while the sun's light failed. Now, this is amazing. There was darkness for how long? How long was the darkness, by the way? Three hours. Now, if you go back to the ninth plague, Exodus chapter 10, go back and look at Exodus chapter 10, look at the ninth plague. How long was the darkness for, for the ninth plague? Three days. Very good. One person got it right. Okay, so the darkness was three days for the ninth plague, which was the plague that was before the Passover. Isn't that amazing? And, and essentially, it was kind of like there was darkness over the land of Egypt, but there was light over the place where Israel was living, called Goshen in the Nile Delta. And so light where Israel was, but darkness over the whole land of Egypt because they had disobeyed God. And here, you know, you know that in some way the darkness is caught up with, with human disobedience because suddenly there's darkness for three hours, from the sixth hour to the ninth hour. And what happened at the ninth hour? What was the special thing that happened at the ninth hour? What happened at the ninth hour? You got, well, what, what were the, well, that was on one side of the temple where Jesus said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. That's on one side where he's out on Calvary. What was happening in front of the temple at that time? What were they sacrificing? There was a special sacrifice going on. A special sacrifice of an unblemished lamb called the Tamid. And this unblemished lamb that was continually sacrificed in the morning and in the evening, right around 9 o'clock, right around 3 o'clock, give or take a little, morning, evening sacrifice. Morning, unblemished lamb as a burnt offering, and then all kinds of other offerings afterwards. Evening, another unblemished lamb, and you wait until the next day. Isn't that amazing? And so it was at the, you know, it was, it was in the morning, the third hour, 9 o'clock, and then in the evening, the ninth hour, 3 p.m. Isn't that amazing? And so Jesus is on the cross this whole time while all this is going on. He's on the other side of the temple on the cross, the Savior of the world, right outside. And, and so people would come to pray, and they would, there would be a time of prayer when this offering is going on. And Christ is on the other side of the cross, on the other side of the temple, on the cross, saying, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. I just want you to see the context here. Okay, so from the sixth hour, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, and while the sun's light failed, and then it says the curtain of the temple was torn. And there were a couple curtains in the temple. But we understand that this was probably the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies, it says that it was, it was torn in two. The other Gospels tell us it was torn from top to bottom, which is even more amazing. And... Why was there a curtain before the Holy of Holies? Why was there a curtain? 
Could people go beyond the Holy of Holies? Could No, only priests could enter into the temple. Only certain priests could enter into the temple. And only the high priest one day a year could enter into the Holy of Holies, where the Ark of the Covenant was. During the second temple period, from 515 all the way to 70 AD, there was no Ark, because they never found it after they were exiled. And so the, priest would, the high priest would just go into the place where the Ark was, and he would just kind of sprinkle the blood of goats and the blood of bulls right over the place where the ark would have been in the Holy of Holies, and then he would go out. Um, and so that curtain, suddenly it's torn open. It's torn from top to bottom. It's, and if you look at the temple, the way the temple was set up, there were all kinds of divisions. You had the Holy of Holies, you had the Holy Place, you had, a, you had a place for priests, you had a place for men, a place for women, a place for Gentiles. Are you starting to get the idea here? There's all these divisions. And if you're, if you're impure, then you can't even come into the city, ritually impure by some, some way or another. So there's all these divisions. And suddenly, God is saying, now I'm not just going to dwell, I'm truly going to be close to you. And so the veil is torn. Verse 12. 46. Then Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. And now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, Certainly this man was innocent. And all the multitudes who assembled to see the sight when they saw what had taken place returned home, beating their breasts, and all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and saw these things. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their purpose indeed, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus, and then he took it down and wrapped it in a linen shroud and laid it in a rock-hewn tomb where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation, and the Sabbath was beginning. The woman, women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid, and they returned and prepared spices and anointments. On the Sabbath, they rested according to the commandment. And we end with that note. My brothers and sisters, may the Lord bless you during this holy week and may you truly journey with christ spend time read through the passion narratives read through the passion narratives as much as you can meditate on them pray over them and it's not just something we should do during holy week it's something we should do routinely in our lives are you really ready to suffer for christ are you prepared when the day comes will you be able to say i have prepared my whole life for this day. Please rise. The Lord be with you. Dear Heavenly Father, bestow your blessing upon your people today. Help us, Lord, to truly pick up the cross and to follow you, to recognize all that you've done for us, to die to ourselves in every desire that we have so that our one desire would be to serve you, to love you, and to share your love with others. We pray for those who have left the faith, those who do not practice the faith, that we would have courage 
to talk with them about the truths of the faith, to ask them if they really are considering what will happen when they die. Give us the courage to do so, so we can start a conversation that would help bring them back into the church. We ask you to bless your people today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Have a blessed day. May God bless you. And truly, it's a blessing to have these talks. There's one more, uh, and we will be back on the 22nd, right after Easter, so the Friday after Easter, and we will talk about chapter 24, The Road to Emmaus. God bless you. Thank you.